Good morning again. Can you believe we are almost to the midpoint of 2023? So this time next week we'll have hit the midpoint. Um, grateful for what God's been doing this first half of the year and looking forward to what he'll continue to do. But good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Richmond. If you're uh, watching us online, good morning to you. If you're out in the courtyard, I know we've got the umbrellas and some uh, uh, screen, uh, screen out there. Good morning to those that are out there. Good to see uh, every single one of you this morning. A couple of quick things in addition to what Javon had shared. Uh, next Sunday, I will not be here. Uh, I'll be down in Georgia with my wife and our family. Uh, she has a family reunion every single year in somewhere in the southern state. And this year it's down in Georgia where she has family south of Atlanta. So uh, pray for me. I hate Atlanta traffic, but uh, you know, but eight lanes of chaos. And uh, But it's been a while since I've been down there, but we'll be down there. And uh, Pastor Kevin Evans from Calvary Chapel Clayton will be here next Sunday. I hope you guys will make him feel welcome. Uh, he is a good brother. Around the same time, uh, I think I've met Pastor Kevin and by the way, Clayton's just outside of Raleigh, but um, about the same time that uh, I was uh, called into the ministry, he was as well, and I, I came out of big tech, he came out of banking, and uh, we both kind of left our prior careers around the same time. God's done a great work there at Calvary Chapel Clayton, and if you remember, Dave and Lisa used to be in our worship, they now are down there at Calvary Chapel Clayton, so uh, he stole them from us, and... Uh, <laughs> We still forgive him, but uh, I stole I stole y'all from Jeff, and he's forgiven me. I, he was here. Uh, he he, st he was here uh, Thursday. We had forty pastors here Thursday, um, all over Virginia, uh, that were here with us. The forty pastors. We had to transform the sanctuary, as you know. This is our everything uh, building, other than the classrooms out there. We have to do a lot of different things in here. So, uh, but we had forty pastors in here last uh, uh, Thursday. This past Thursday from all over Virginia, just praying, uh, hearing what God's doing in other parts of the state. Uh, but uh, you'll hear from Pastor Kevin next Sunday. Uh, he'll be here, um, and you might have, some of you know this, uh, he lost his wife tragically. He passed suddenly back in the fall. Uh, so he uh, has continued as a single man to be in the pulpit. He missed one Sunday, uh, and he's continued to preach and teach. And he feels like God has called him, and you know whether he ends up remarried or things that that's all to be remained uh, in the future. But um, uh, he's got a couple of kids, and his thirteen year thirteen year old daughter will be here with him. So make them both feel welcome. She'll be coming, and I think he's going to take her to Bush Gardens or do something like that while he's up in Virginia after uh, after being here with us. But um, I will get back late that night. Uh, plan on being at Doctor Ernest. Um, Property. Uh, him and Jackie have a beautiful property out in Powhatan. If you want to come out for the third of July celebration, it's it's for the fourth, but it's on the third, so you can sleep in on the fourth. So that's kind of the way we oriented that. And then there's no service on the fifth because we're making that Monday night our fellowship night. Uh, so I hope you come out for that. That'll be a lot of fun. But um, uh, make uh, Pastor Kevin feel welcome next Sunday. You'll be blessed. I have no idea what he's going to share on. I don't know if he'll touch on what he's gone through. Or if you won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, I don't know. Uh, but I know that uh, you'll be blessed by whatever the Lord brings. So he'll be in both services next Sunday. And then um, we want to continue to pray for revival for our country. Uh, every day that I read the news, I'm reminded, Lord, 
we need to turn back to you. Uh, we desperately need the Lord. Our country needs uh, the grace and mercy that God is extending, but, but we have to respond to it. And so we've been praying for revival for about 15 years, and we have, uh, ever since the pandemic started, which it's kind of come and finally kind of passed on through, uh, we continue to get on our knees, and it's, uh, it's a lot harder in the second service, the 830 service. They have more room than you guys do. But uh, if, you were, if you're visiting here, um, you know, this is what we've been doing ever since the pandemic. We've been getting on our knees, humbling ourselves. In the old days, churches had little knee pads. They don't have, we don't have them anymore. We don't have room for that. We don't have the little golf pencils and the offering things in the back and none of that stuff. We have an offering box. It's a different time. But we've been praying for revival, and if you'd like to join us uh, on our knees for about 45 seconds silence, you can do that. If you have bad knees or not comfortable with that, that's fine. Just sit there and pray with us. And uh, then we'll get into God's Word together. So let's pray. Lord, your word says that if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? Lord, we know that none could stand. And that's in part why we're kneeling, Lord. We're humbling ourselves before you because, Lord, you are holy and we are not. You are righteous and we are not. You are perfect and we are not. <clears throat> but we are thankful that you're full of mercy and grace, and we're here because of your grace and because of your mercy. Lord, we're thankful for so great a salvation. Lord, in this room, forgive us if we've neglected so great salvation. Lord, we pray that uh, you would renew us, refresh us, revive us as it says in Psalm 119, nine times, Lord, you'd revive us in this room. Lord, we pray outside these walls uh, throughout our country, in the highest offices of the land, Lord, and in the business offices of New York, and the entertainment offices of Los Angeles, and Lord, in the academic uh, offices, and uh, Lord, all across this country, and people with Power, money, influence, people with no power, no money, no influence. Lord, we pray that you would open eyes, soften hearts, and bring a work of repentance that people would see that the sins that they're holding on to, that the idols that they're believing in, and the immorality, Lord, that they are uh, enjoying these things, Lord, are just vapor. <clears throat> and Lord, someday we will all stand before you. So, Lord, we pray that there would be uh, um, a conviction of sin righteousness and the judgment to come. Lord, you'd speak uh, to people like only you can. Lord, we pray that uh, you would bring healing to our country. You would bring healing to people that are hurting. You'd break addictions. Lord, you'd restore and heal families. And Lord, we just ask, not only this, we pray for the nation of Croatia uh, this morning. We pray for one country every week. Lord, we pray for that nation. We know that you died for the people of Croatia. You love them. We pray that there would be a work of revival in that nation as well. Churches planted, souls saved. We thank you for what's already happening there. And Lord, we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in countries like North Korea and Iran and China and uh, many other places, Lord. We pray that you would minister to them, heal them, 
comfort them, deliver them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And when you find your seat, which is right where you left it, uh, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We finished Acts chapter 2 last week, picking it up with the third chapter of Acts. We've got a ways to go, but we're on our way as well. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, all the way from birth, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him, with Peter, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave his attention, gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. He was an instant Pentecostal believer. You can see that right there. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us? As though by our own power and godliness we have made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the prince of life, whom God raised up from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, and in, and his name through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and no, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness, the presence of you all. Let's pray again. Father, we come before you now as we read your word. Lord, we pray that it would fall upon open ears, soft hearts, Lord, expectant hearts. Lord, we pray that uh, you'd remove every distraction in this room, those watching online, those out in the courtyard, or the fellowship hall. Lord, you remove every distraction. We would hear from the Holy Spirit by your mighty and powerful word. Lord, we pray that you would transform and change lives today. Even if we know you, we'd know you more. We would be applying and walking in these things that we would see miracle power in our lives and lives transform. We ask it. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever we see 
sickness or illness or diseases or disabilities, and we see these all the time, it's a reminder to us that the bodies we live in are very fragile. They are failing. They are fading. Those of you of a certain age, you already know this. The younger people, they don't seem to know this just yet. They'll, they'll come to know this too. But in varying degrees, our bodies are failing and fading. And what we are seeing in ourselves and what we see in others, these are the consequences of sin and a fallen world. Sin and a fallen world. The original sin there in the Garden of Eden ushered in maladies of every sort that cause many issues. Lots of pain, lots of frustration, difficulty, car accidents, tragedies, and ultimately leads to death. When these bodies finally no longer work, and all of this is a reminder that just as we cannot heal ourselves or extend our life, we also cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior, right? Because our souls are facing death from the day we're born. Unless God intervenes. Amen? Unless God intervenes. And we know he has done that by sending his son. But every healing you ever see in Scripture points to the necessity of what Jesus and only Jesus can do for an individual. For the body for the mind, and most importantly, for our soul. You're taking notes. You see the title this morning, Healed by the Holy One. Peter uses that term in the text that we just read. We saw the supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the 3,000 souls that came to Christ, and the glorious work of repentance that was poured out there, the mighty revival that took place there in Jerusalem. The fear of the Lord falling on the disciples in the early church. And the high priorities that were evident there in the church in Jerusalem. The apostles' doctrine, which we know is the word of God. Fellowship, building those relationships. The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, which is also discipleship and communion with God. And prayer being these four foundational elements of their lives in Christ. As we talked about last week as well, what began as the revival and a harvest of souls on the day of Pentecost, that day of first fruits, that feast of weeks, it didn't fizzle out in a couple of weeks, did it? Not like the six weeks after 9-11 and then church attendance plummeted again. Fizzled out real quick. States starting passing laws soon after that against the scriptures. No, this revival continued because the love and gratitude towards Jesus of these disciples and the fear of the Lord that they had, which is that awe, that respect for God, the holiness of the Lord. It resulted in these early believers keeping their eyes on Jesus and their lives lived out in accordance with 
his will, not their will. This is the big problem in our country. Everyone's living according to their own will. I'll do what I want to do. I'll write my own little Bible if I have to. So as they kept studying God's word and they kept fellowshipping, remembering together, they kept together Jesus' love and Jesus' sacrifice for their sins and praying continually, they were being filled and led by the Spirit. We love babies, so don't worry about it. You know. <laughs> we love that God gives new life. Yeah, you can give, yeah. So don't worry at all. We love life. We've got, we got a couple more on the way, too, by the way. So we've got at least a couple more that we'll soon be having, and we just had some, so keep having the baby. We're good with it. God said, be fruitful and multiply. No worries at all. But something I've repeated numerous times over the years, it's something that uh, you guys have met, Dr. Sam Nadler. He's a good friend and has mentored me, and um, something he's told me uh, numerous times, probably started telling me this for the first time in the early 2000s, uh, but I've repeated it many times, consistency equals maturity. Consistency equals maturity. This is true in everything. This is true in business. This is true in sports. This is true in academics. Consistency will equal maturity. In other words, you will mature in that which you stay consistent in. But it's obviously most important in the spiritual realm. These believers... And notice the word believe is in, in the word believer. So when you call yourself a believer, the word believe is very important to that. But these early believers, they believed that what the Scriptures said and what Jesus taught was the only way to live their lives while on this earth. They believed that with all their heart. Do you believe that? That this, the only way to live your life is according to the Scriptures. And so they did it. And they did it with consistency, which is Discipline, which discipline and discipleship, I don't know if you realize, those words are very connected, right? Discipline is not a bad thing. Disciples become disciplined, consistent followers of the Lord, hence the word disciple or discipleship. And they continued as they continued consistently, word, fellowship, Lord's Supper, discipleship, prayer, they continued to mature individually and collectively. How many of you want just a few of your kids to mature? Not all of them. You'd be okay with half. You'd be okay with a third of them maturing. No, some of you are saying, my kids are 40, and they still need to mature. I mean, I, I'm getting calls that I should not be getting, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not even going to look up because some of you all might feel embarrassed about that statement. But more and more souls were added because they were maturing and their faith was maturing, and they were having a contagious effect, and more and more souls were be adding because adding to the kingdom because they were walking in the spirit. And so I, I, I want to continue to mature. You know, Sam's got 21 years on me, so uh, I want to continue to mature in the Lord. But you should want to continue to mature, and I want the whole family here to continue to mature in the Lord, and so does the Lord certainly desire that. So as Peter and John, as they had up to the temple to pray. It's about 3 o'clock. It's a little after 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We can be sure that because they were mature in the Lord and because they were walking in the Spirit, we can be sure that they were not headed up to pray saying, oh, I can't believe we have to go to a prayer meeting. 
how boring. We've got to go to a prayer meeting. No. The Spirit of God was continually renewing them, and it was giving them a taste for the spiritual. Um, Let me give an example. Some things you just... Whoever invented pizza, I don't know. I gotta, I've watched a lot of documentaries about really worthless knowledge, but I, I don't know who exactly invented pizza, but whoever did it, they deserve an award because almost everyone instantaneously likes it, the first, unless it's Chuck E. Cheese, because that is like eating cardboard. But all other, and if you've had little kids, you know what I'm talking about, um, so don't bother with it if you go there. But, um, but all other pizza... Uh, it's just levels of good. Like, uh, there is, like, off the charts awesome, and then there's pretty good, and this, hey, this is still great for Friday night. There's levels that you instant, you don't have to be trained to like it. As soon as you put it in a baby's mouth, they light up like a Christmas tree. It's like the first time you give them ice cream, and they, they, the taste is already there. But when you get saved, God has to give you a taste for the spiritual. Because you, in our flesh, we don't have a taste for the things of the Lord. We have a taste for the things of the world. So he changes our taste. So all of a sudden, you have a taste for the things that God loves, and prayer, and fellowship, and the Word. And so Peter and John, they had this taste for the Lord. They had a desire to be in prayer. They had a desire for the eternal. They had a desire for the life-changing in themselves and in others. And by the way, Satan is quite happy if our happiness is in this world, He's quite happy if your happiness is in this world. That the things of this world is what makes you happy. But he's not happy at all. Satan is not happy at all if we are glad and happy in the Lord. That puts a target on your back. If you're happy in the Lord, he's not so happy with that. And he knows, here's what Satan knows about those that are happy, that their gladness, because it said in the early church, there, go back to the end of chapter 2, that they walked in the Lord and they were filled with gladness. He knows that if we're happy in the Lord, we'll do the work of the Lord for the Lord. Amen? If we're happy in the Lord, we'll do the work of the Lord for the Lord and in the Lord. And let me also say, I'm not under any illusions that there aren't times and seasons. Some of you in this room might be going through one right now. That there aren't times and seasons where we don't feel so glad, where we're not so joyful where we don't feel like praising. I, I told the first service, and Montel, my brother in the front row, we both lost two sisters, one to cancer. Uh, our younger sister was murdered. Uh, my parents were divorced. Uh, our parents were divorced when we were in middle school. That was not good. It, it took some people in our family years to recover from some of these things. Uh, I lost an assistant pastor to cancer. I, I can't even relate to what uh, Pastor Kevin's gone through, losing his wife, and he still goes on. I've seen many people in this room People die in their family. I've sat many times in hospitals with people as they passed away, and I felt the weight of it. I wasn't even in their family. So I understand. I mean, I've had, I've had a neck surgery, a fusion, some people pain that I couldn't even take it anymore. You want to literally pull every hair out. Those of you that have had things in life, you know that life is not always full of gladness. Because you can't really get it from this world, amen? You're already in a fallen body. Again, go back to being. This is what shows us we need God to reach in from the outside because we can't fix these kind of things, amen? So I don't have any illusions that just, and Peter and John 
didn't have difficulties. No, they did too. But God was constantly renewing and refreshing, even through deserts, even through bad storms. Back to our text in verses 1 through 3. So just that's context. We're going to see a man who has been enduring many years of what most people would consider misery. Back to verses 1 through 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go up to the temple, asked for alms. Now, as Peter and John approach the temple, we know they're going to pray. We know they're going there to pray to the Lord. It's been well noted by many who have studied the book of Acts that the apostles, they didn't see a need to change certain aspects of their Jewish custom. Now, certain things under the law, circumcision wasn't needed anymore. Certain things under the law, they could actually now eat shellfish. But certain customs, it was customary to go to the temple at certain times for all the Jewish population to go there and pray. And Peter and John did not change that custom. They, post-salvation, after they were born again, they continued to go pray at the same exact hours. And there's a lot of people who thought, why did they do that? Why did they continue that same custom? Why didn't they change it up? Well, like Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night. He was devout, a member of the Sanhedrin, a devout. You know Nicodemus had probably prayed thousands of times before he was born again. How many have prayed to God before he ever got saved? Yeah, lots of people, Lord, get me out of this jam, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, if you, I, I'll never do this again, whatever. Uh, everyone's had these prayers before they got saved, and they are quickly forgotten. Not always. Some people have even been praying devoutly even before they got saved, and then they get saved, and they realize, oh, now God changes the whole way I pray. But Nicodemus had been praying, and no doubt the apostles, they had probably prayed. They were Jewish men that grew up as Jewish boys, and they had probably prayed long before they ever were born again by Jesus. So they already were men of prayer. But now, those times that they used to go at those hour of prayer, now it meant so much more. And now they were going in the Holy Spirit. They were going, and their prayers were in the Lord, and the Lord was in them by the Spirit. So they didn't quit doing that custom. They continued to go. And now they knew that when they prayed, they really were in relationship with God. They weren't just checking a box. They weren't just making sure that the the priests and the rabbis would pat them on the head and say, good job. Luke specifies the hour of prayer, which comes after the hour of sacrifice. Why did they not need the hour of sacrifice? Because they already had the sinless blood blood atonement of Jesus, who was the sacrifice for all of time. So they didn't need the sacrifice, but the hour of prayer, they still did need, and we do need to continue to pray. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians that we need to continue to pray without ceasing. As long as you're breathing, we need to be praying. As long as you're alive, We need to be praying from now till Jesus were to call us home. Paul, as you know, would later, after he comes to Christ, which is also going to be in our Acts study, but uh, further, um, Paul would go into the synagogues. And you know when they'd go into the synagogues, they were Jewish congregations, they would open the Torah, it would be the reading of the Torah, 
and Paul would go in into where his brethren were because he believed it would be an open door for him to what? Share the gospel. Which is, uh, and some have surmised, and I think it's uh, accurate, that uh, Peter and John would continue to go to the hour of prayer because guess what? They would rub elbows with their non-believing Jewish brethren, and there's an opportunity, ma'am, you're on the way out of the temple to say, hey, you want to go grab some falafel and hummus and, you know, do you want to go, uh, you know, go, I don't know if they had all that back then, but anyway, uh, olive oil, whatever it is, you know, all these things, you want to go break bread together and, uh, hey, we'd like to invite you to a Bible study at the upper room. There'd be opportunities, and rather, you know, when you get outside these four walls, we have to actually talk to people to actually have an impact on this world. So I believe they continued to go at this hour of prayer because it would create opportunities to share the gospel. And that was precisely what was about to take place on this day. They were going to have a, a door, was going to, Lord was going to kick open a door to the gospel, albeit through a mighty miracle that God had ordained for this specific day. But as they drew near to the beautiful gate, a gate to the temple that Josephus described as being made of fine Corinthian brass, uh, that it was set, the, this gate was 75 feet tall. 75 feet, that's seven and a half stories in height or thereabout. 75 feet tall. It was massive double doors, and it was so beautiful and so regal that Josephus, uh, the first century historian who he was Jewish, became a Roman citizen, he said it greatly excelled those that were only covered with silver and gold. That's what he said about the, the beautiful gate. It was so much of the temple, it's too bad they didn't have cameras back then. And we could see it was one of the ancient wonders of the world in every way, shape, or form. Jerusalem itself, I mean, what, what Rome did in destroying it, just a beautiful city. But as they approached the beautiful gate, there is a man sitting just outside who has been lame from birth. How many of you would like for your entire life for someone to carry you every single day and plop you off at a place where people panhandle? And that is your life. For year, for decades, this was his life. Decades. You talk about no real hope. I mean, this is every single day being dropped there to ask for alms, and alms were gifts to the poor, and many times the poor were also lame with disabilities. But here he is, he's there, he's been there for decades, day after day, been brought there, and he's simply asking, what he's doing is simply asking for enough donations for him to have food just to sustain his meager life. But aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit had a lot more in mind for this day than him to get a couple coins? Something far greater in mind. Look at verses 4 through 6. 4 through 6, starting with verse 4 here. And Peter, fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up 
and walk. Peter and John, they, they don't just walk right by this guy. They see this man, and they see his desperate condition. They see his need. Question for us, do we, do we see the needs of people? Do we see and care about people's needs? Do we see it in their face? Do we see it in their body language? Do we see it in the tone of their voice? Do we see it in what they say and what they don't say? Do we see people's need? Do we actually see people or do we walk straight on by them? Do we see complete strangers as people that God loves? Though we know that they're headed to pray, they're not against God changing how the day is going to go. Amen? Remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan, which, by the way, um, Pastor uh, Alwyn of Calvary Chapel, London, preaches the, one of the best messages, or maybe the best message I've ever heard. Someday I'd love to have him come here. He's, uh, uh, he'd love his British accent, uh, but he's a great teacher of the Word. He's there in London, England, and, but he taught a message on Jesus as the Good Samaritan. Uh, unbelievable message. I, mean, I should probably share it on our Calvary Tales thing, you guys should all listen to it. It's amazing. Uh, one of the best messages, if not the best message I've ever heard on the Good Samaritan. However, remember that Jesus rebuked the fact that a Levite and another uh, uh, priest, they made sure that they did not miss what was their religious duty. They did not have time, nor were they going to get involved with this man who was beaten and robbed. Now, Peter and John, as they're coming through, they they see this man, they're, they're headed to pray, but the Holy Spirit turns all their attention to him. And when it, and, and I don't know if they missed the first part of the hour of prayer, but at, at any rate, they look at him and they see him and they don't uh, disregard him. They're ready for God to direct their steps and even make last second changes. Doesn't God sometimes make last second changes that we weren't planning on? And sometimes you, when this happens, you have to stop and say, Lord, why? Uh, okay. Uh, even without why. Okay, Lord, if this is of you, I need to respond with the right attitude and the right response to this. And God does do last-second changes. Uh, But if you're walking in communion with God, you'll be able to hear him redirect and say, change this, do this differently. I want you to take this detour in your day. And sometimes he'll detour it for you if you are not getting the message. Uh, uh, He does that as well. But Peter and John, they fix their eyes on this man. And the man's thought, his immediate thought, was they're going to give me something. Uh, He knows how this goes. I'll probably get something in the form of gold gold or silver coins, and that's going to really help um, buy something to eat. But Peter and John, they didn't have any coins. They didn't have any money. They had no cash on them. This is me 90% of the time. (laughs) 90% of the time, I don't have cash unless... There's one custard shop that only takes cash. But that's a different story. But they had no cash on them. And we can be certain that at this moment, as Peter's eyes are locked on this man's eyes, that the Holy Spirit gives Peter an instant faith. And I believe even these words that he says, the Holy Spirit drops them on his tongue, if you will. Just like when he stood up at Pentecost, he probably... I don't know what I'm going to preach. And God says, instantaneously, Joel, Psalms, 
And as he speaks in one language, everyone heard him in many languages. That was the Holy Spirit dropping the power of God on his tongue, and even the very words that he spoke. So I believe Peter received an instant faith and an instant word from the Holy Spirit that he then spoke. Back to verse 6, and what is it that the Spirit gives him? And what word of faith does he uh, speak to this man? Silver and gold, verse 6, I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. You can even think of Peter actually coming, words coming out of his mouth, it's like, is this, what am I saying? Rise and walk? But he said it by faith, and these words just come out. When we get to heaven, isn't it great that we'll be able to have discussions with all the people you've read about in the Bible? Like you literally can talk to Moses and say, tell me about the burning bush experience. You literally can talk to Mary. Tell me when you looked at the king of the universe in your arms. Whatever it is that intrigues you, uh, I'll be able to say to Peter, Peter, how did those words just flow out of your mouth? What was going on in your mind as you were actually saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk? And I believe Peter will say, yeah, it was all the Lord. Notice that Peter makes no mention of himself. He doesn't say in the name of Peter. He doesn't say, Peter and Jesus together want to do this for you. He makes no mention of himself, no mention of John. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, it's just Jesus. Verse 7 and 8. Look at verse 7 and 8. And he took him by the right hand. So Peter takes him by the hand. Peter grabs hold of his hand. And lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter takes him by the hand, but take note that the man doesn't say back to Peter. Peter Peter has given him this command. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. That's all Peter said. There was no response from the man. As Peter grabs his hand, the man doesn't say something like this. This will never work. He doesn't say, you've got to be kidding me. I haven't walked in decades. I don't know how to walk. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I can't walk. He doesn't say, do you have power like this? In the name of Jesus, the man believed by faith. Um, Not only is he going to get healed, but I don't know if you know, when people have brain injuries and stuff, they have to put them for physical therapy. They have to relearn how to walk. How do you walk? I mean, everyone that has a baby, you know, you're going to have, the the baby has to learn how to walk. This man's never walked. He's been lame from birth. The fact that he's not only going to get healed and he will instantaneously know how to walk is a double miracle in and of itself. I mean, instantaneously knows how to walk. But he doesn't say, this won't work. Why are you asking me to do this? How could I do this? He just tries to walk. And he simply attempts to do what Peter has asked him to do. And I'm telling you, in our life, now that we are saved by faith, there's a lot of things that God is going to ask you to do. He's going to say, I'm simply asking you to attempt it. Let me take care of the results. You're going to have to just attempt it. But Lord... Just attempt it. But just attempt it. 
And then it happens, as Peter takes his hand, he tries to stand, and lo and behold, because he tries to stand, he finds he can stand, and he finds he knows how to stand, and he finds that everything worked. His feet and his ankles are healed and strengthened instantly. And Luke is a physician. He actually uses terminology he only uses here. And Luke is actually telling us that he, Luke is describing what is actually taking place in the ankle joints, and Luke, being a physician, is seeing this in a medical realm and saying, God just all of a sudden fused everything together and healed it from the inside out. And then he stands up. He doesn't know how to stand, but he just stands. He knows how to walk. He not only walks, he decides to leap. That's how we know he's Pentecostal, right here. He starts praising God. He's not going to go to a dead church. You know that. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. He's, he, he has to be somewhere where there's going to be a little bit of rhythm. There's going to be some music. Uh, he, that's really not in the temple, though. But he goes straight into the temple, because it's very you know, austere at times. But uh, he goes straight into the temple. You know, uh, it's interesting that when he immediately receives this, he does not say, hey, guys, thanks. I'm going to go live out my wildest dreams now. He doesn't say, the last thing I want to go to his church, into the temple. No, he has a desire immediately to go where they're going. You're all going for prayer? I want to go in there and pray. God's been this good to me. I want to give my life to God. When you really get saved, uh, before I got saved, I couldn't imagine, I've told you guys many times, I couldn't imagine sitting in church on a Sunday. Not when it was gorgeous at the beach and I lived in South Florida. But after I got saved, I wanted to be where there was worship, the Word, and the people of God. My taste had changed. So immediately, he wants to go into the temple, and he does. He follows them in, goes straight in with them. By the way, even if ancient physicians, uh, speaking of this healing a little bit more, even if ancient physicians could have healed him medically or surgically, and it's best we can tell they could not have. Uh, it doesn't seem to be they had the ability to do that. But even if they could, and which is why Luke the physician was so amazed at all of the miracle healings of Jesus. Uh, he wrote more of them in the book of Luke than any other gospel writers. And of course, he wrote the book of Acts. And so Luke was just, uh, just he just always was marveling and amazed at what Jesus had done with these healings. Uh, but even if ancient doctors could have reset his feet, uh, Dr. Russ is a foot and ankle surgeon here in our church. Uh, even if they could do all that work and get everything working uh, in his ankles and legs and, and, and teach him how to walk. He didn't have that kind of money. As you probably have found out, medical procedures are not generally free. Have anyone noticed this? Uh, your insurance companies, they generally don't lower your prices over your lifetime. They just go one direction. And all other expenses, too. Uh, so this was impossible financially. This was impossible medically. But nothing's impossible with God. Amen? Amen? Nothing's impossible with God. There may be someone, there may be several someones in this room or watching online that are here today, and you're probably more in the place of the beggar than you are in the apostles. You're not right now filled with joy and sharing your faith. You are in a place to say, Lord, I have a need. I'm more like a beggar right now than I am a bold apostle. You need God to touch your situation. Maybe you're here today and you need God to touch your situation. Maybe your situation is the condition of your soul. I don't know. 
We have some visitors here. We have different people. I don't know the condition of anyone uh, deep inside their soul. Only God can see that. Maybe this condition of your soul is that you're not ready for death. You know that you're fading. You know that, uh, that your life will come to an end. Maybe you're not ready for eternity, and you're still in your sins. Maybe it's a hope for healing. Maybe you have a, an issue that needs healing that you haven't even told a single person about. Or maybe a couple people. Maybe you have a hope for healing. Maybe you need healing in your mind. You suffer from anxiety or you suffer from depression or something that you need healing in your mind. Maybe it's your something in your body, an ailment that just won't heal. Or a relationship. Maybe it's your finances. I could use some of the silver and gold that this guy was hoping to get. I could use some of that. Maybe it's financial situation or your job situation. Whatever it is, I'm here to tell you, you need, I need the same power that's poured out in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Amen? The same power of the Spirit of God. And it's only found in the name of Jesus. That was what Jesus was telling this man. It's only in Jesus of Nazareth. Not Bank of America, not United Healthcare. Definitely not some of these institutions. Uh, but back to the scene here, but verses 9 and 10. And the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew it was he who sat begging uh, alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Uh, this man was well known to all the people. He had been there for decades, as I mentioned. Uh, the people that came to the temple, they had seen him many times. In fact, uh, it is likely, it is likely that Jesus probably passed by this man numerous times, and Jesus might have spoken to him, Jesus might have done, uh, shared with him encouragement, but for whatever reason, Jesus did not heal him in his earthly ministry. He was waiting till now. And you know Jesus knows everything, so he knew you will be, he, he could, in his mind, look at the man and say, you're going to be healed, and it's going to be just, well, a little bit after Pentecost. They saw him walking, though. They had seen him lame. They had seen him there begging for all these years. And they saw him walking and leaping and praising God. They were filled with amazement and wonder, and we certainly can understand that. You can only imagine the people that weren't there. You know, when everything happens, um, yesterday we rode by a car accident. I saw that I knew it had happened because I see everything crumpled up, but I wasn't there the instant it happened. But I can only imagine how it went down. So people that see, this is a positive thing, obviously, they see the man walking and they're like, hey, hold on, I was here yesterday and he was lame. What happened? And so people that didn't see it happen, uh, they were wondering, and so you can imagine how perplexed they were. And some people are thinking, is this another Pentecost? Because this was Pentecost. The whole city saw that outpouring of the Spirit. They all saw the miraculous work of the languages. They all saw 3,000 people say they heard the rushing wind. So they may be thinking, is this yet another Pentecost? No, it's another work of God, but not Pentecost per se. But look at verse 11. Uh, now as the lame man was healed, uh, the man who was healed, he held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed. Uh, you might want to circle this verse. I, I, this is a beautiful verse that maybe people have overlooked. Verse 11. What a beautiful sight. This man, who now had full range of motion, he didn't even, he never walked 
He immediately knew how to walk. He not only could walk, he could leap and jump and walked perfectly, probably had the healthiest set of feet and ankles and limbs in all of Jerusalem now. Because he'd been touched by God, your doctor is way below God, right? So he probably had the healthiest limbs and ankles and feet of anyone in Jerusalem, and yet he's still clinging to Peter and John. Why is this? There, and yet Peter and John seem totally welcoming to him right by their side, holding on to them, but not holding on them to stand up, because we know he was already leaving jumping. He kept grabbing back onto them. He'd walk, grab back onto them. This is my own commentary here. I look at this and I see a former outcast has found a family. He, it's the relationship. He is grabbing on them. He was an outcast. He all of a sudden has people that are his brothers in Christ. He can't get enough of hanging out. This is why how you know when you really get saved, by the way. You want to be with the people of God. Before that, you're like, man, these people really bother me. They convict me. They're nerdy. They're this, they're that. Uh, but he, he found a family. And I believe that this outcast now knows he has his health, but he even is even more glad to be part of the family of God, worshiping with them, just to have a family. And I know many people, and you've met them too, that don't have any family left, but they get saved, and all of a sudden the body of Christ becomes their family, and better than their previous family in many respects. And the people in the crowd, uh, they start to get a glimpse of this, and they know he's been lame for more than 40 years. We know that because of Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter verse 22, it says he's been He's past his 40s, and uh, he's been lame since birth. Uh, but people, the word goes out that Peter and John have spoken to him, and the people believe the apostles uh, have done this. The word quickly spreads that Peter has healed this man. But notice Peter's response to them thinking that he had healed this man, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people saying, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Well, we'd all marvel at it, but why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter's like, do you actually think our power or our godliness did this? God forbid. Peter's like, we had nothing to do with it other than to speak forth what the Holy Spirit gave us. Peter knows he doesn't possess this kind of power. Nor do I, nor do you. When we anoint people with oil, we know that there's no power in the oil, but we know there's power in God to say, I can do it tonight. He was headed there to pray. Peter had no idea the Spirit was going to do this this day. He was just probably as amazed as anybody else that God chose to move in that way on that day. They, being Peter and John, because they were compassionate men, they probably, I don't know when one or the other, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had given him alms before. Because if you're a good uh, believer in Jesus, you probably bless people in ways that you can, but you wish you could heal them, but you knew you can't, so you brought them a meal. Uh, maybe food will make you smile, right? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, people do that. They probably had given him alms before. Uh, we don't know, but um, this day, the Lord did something far greater, and Peter's letting them know that we, we don't have this kind of power. Uh, if they would, they probably would have healed him already. If I had healing power, like some of the guys I see on TV say they have, I already would be at Johnson, Willis, and Chippenham, like cleaning out hospitals. But I don't have that. 
We have to rely on what the Lord will do. Verses 13 through 15. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. They weren't expecting this kind of mini message, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life. Peter's not getting warm and fuzzy with this part of the message at all. Uh, when God, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Peter makes it clear that the God of Israel, Yahweh, the one who called the patriarchs, who called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldea, who created Isaac in his old age, who gave Jacob and the, and the 12 sons, who created the nation of Israel uh, through his servant. He's saying all this was done through his servant, who is his son, who is the Messiah to come, who they were looking forward to, who had already come now, who was a man that Pilate was a route, Pilate wanted to let him go. Pilate tried to get it. I'll give you this guy's release, and they wouldn't budge. No, they, they cried out for his death. They wanted him crucified. They denied Pilate's request, and instead they asked for the release of Barabbas, who was a murderer. And this man, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, Peter refers to him as the Holy One. That would have been quite a shock to their senses. They only knew the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, the Tanakh. And anytime it says the Holy One, guess who that is? God, capital G-O-D. When you say the Holy One, and he, he just called Jesus the Holy One. He's equal to God the Father. This man, he also calls the just, which means the righteous, means the approved. And he goes on, he said, but, but you guys killed the prince of life, the prince of peace. Isaiah, he hears he's the prince of life. Uh, certainly Jesus had healed so many people himself, thousands, thousands. Uh, uh, he had raised the dead, Lazarus and others. But God had raised him up from the dead. All the apostles were witnesses to it. They touched Jesus' hand. They touched his side. They sat with him. And as I mentioned a few weeks back, Peter does not feel the need here to explain it. He just proclaims it. There is power when we proclaim it. God's the one that convicts hearts. And God's the one that lets the message land. You and I don't have to figure out, Lord, if I say this, if you say it lovingly, humbly, and you have a peace that, Lord, you want me to say this? You don't have to worry about making it land. You let God let it land. Amen? Peter's concluding statement, our last verse here this morning, verse 16, we bring it to a close. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. God wants to make you strong in the Lord whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of all, of you all. Peter's concluding statement on this miraculous healing. It was by faith in the name of Jesus, going back to verse 6, the very one that the high priest had condemned, that the multitudes had wanted crucified, and finally was killed by Pilate, 
but it was the risen Jesus. And you will see Peter in Acts chapter 2, here again, Acts chapter 4, everywhere Peter writes or preaches, he always talks about the resurrection. Peter always talks about the resurrection of Jesus. It tells us that we should always be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But the one that the grave could not hold, God's only begotten Son, who Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he decided from his throne to heal this man on this day. Amen? We don't know how all that works. We just know that Jesus says, now's the time. The Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father are one, and an instantaneous, there's a complete agreement among the Godhead. This is the day that this man will be healed. And I actually see in verse 16, um, in the first half of verse 16, I see the lame man's faith. If you look at the first half of verse 16, where it says here, uh, yes, the faith which, uh, let's go back. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. This man had the faith that what Peter was saying, God would do. So he just, mustard seed probably. It could have been 99% not believe it, but 1% believe. By the way, uh, that's how I came to faith. How you came to faith. You might have had doubts, but you had enough belief to take a step. That's what faith is. It's, it's like a mustard seed, this tiny little thing. So he has enough faith to take that step, and then Peter has enough faith to say what he says, and there it goes. Peter spoke by faith, the man responded by believing faith, and Jesus by his Spirit gave the power to instantly give this man perfect soundness in his limb. This is my case, that he had the best limbs in Jerusalem now, right? The best feet in Jerusalem. Uh, all of a sudden, he People are like, you're 40 years old and you're running marathons like you're 10 or something like that. <laughs> well, let me tell you what happened to me on the day I was sitting in front of the beautiful gate after 40 years of waiting. He's been healed by the Holy One. As we close here this morning, my question is, what touch do you need from God? What is the touch you need from the Lord? What life of prayer is he calling you to? What faith and obedience like John and Peter is he calling you to? Uh, I mentioned this in the first service. It's so true. I don't care. If you're not even saved, this is true. And even well after you're saved, it remains true. All of our needs come with a needed response. Let me say that again. All of our needs come with a needed response. Because if you bring a need to God, he will say to you, this or that, and there'll be a needed response of, yes, Lord, I receive that, I'll obey that, I will apply that, I will do that, I will pray that. Does that make sense? All of our needs come with a needed response. This man had a need. Peter says, I know your need. God knows your need, and here's what you're going to need to do. I need you to take my hand and stand up. I don't know how to stand up, but in his mind, somewhere he said, the response I need to do is say, Yes, I'll, I've watched people stand. They seem to do something like this. And he tries to do it. And God says, there you go, instant. And with salvation, when God uh, throws out the life preserver salvation, there's a need, your soul, but there has to be a need of response. And that is to believe it, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word.
And Lord, you know every need in this room. You know that if there's someone here that needs healing, if there's someone here that needs salvation, if there's someone here that needs a relationship healed, if there's someone here that needs a job that recently lost one, Lord, you know the needs. Uh, but Lord, I pray that with that need, there will be the right needed response. And Lord, you'll make clear what that response is because you do not, uh, you do not resist those that come with a soft heart, but Lord, you will uh, speak and minister in a way that we can hear and know what you're saying to us. And before we close in worship, if there's anyone here, uh, I, I said that the greatest need by far, even though we have a lot of needs in this room and, and uh, we've all had times of needs, our greatest need that Jesus came was not even to heal the body because even this man with his healing, let's say he's 42 or so, even if he lives 42 more years, he still has to eventually, the body fades, his soul was the most important. We don't even know if he got saved that day or if he already had believed in Jesus and this day was his healing. We don't know if it happened on the same day. The text doesn't tell us. We know he did have saving faith, but we don't know if it happened then or prior. But if you're in this room and you say, I, my soul is not ready for eternity, and God's made that clear to me, but I want to receive Jesus' gift of salvation. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's even one person in this room, um, it wasn't really a salvation message. It was really just what God is doing. But if there's anyone here who says, yeah, I, I want to give my life to Christ, raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Only the Lord can save you. I'm just leading you to what he would say to do. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. If you have a need for something, healing, relationship, finances, I want to I pray, and then I'm going to let the worship team lead us in song. Lord, you see each and every person in this room. I pray, Lord, if there's someone in this room that needs your divine healing touch, Lord, by your grace, we know that you have the power to heal them today. Lord, if it's a job that they need, if it's a financial situation, Lord, if it's a relationship, if it's a prodigal, Lord, you know every need in this room. We pray that you would meet that need, but we pray that the response would be on each and every individual to be total surrender to you. That you'd use us like you used Peter and John, that we would be rerouted as you desire we ask for your healing. We ask for your deliverance. We ask for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand as we close in prayer?